dead deer voice. Welcome back to the 573 Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Evers. And I'm co-host Travis Owen. Travis, it is nice to hear your voice again. It's been a while since you've been on one of these. Yes, sir. I've been I've been a busy boy this summer. Making big moves. Yes, sir. I uh, just bought 20 acres so and a house, and I've been doing a little bit of, uh, I've been putting deer stands up and mineral out and trail cams, so getting ready for the season. Yeah, I'm very excited, and we thought we would do a question and answer podcast just because we've never done one of those before, so we put that out there on Instagram, and we got a few questions back, so we're excited to talk a little bit about whitetails today and other things that you guys had to ask. So uh, we'll go ahead and jump into it. So, Travis, you just bought a piece of 20. Yeah. I can't even talk. You just bought 20 acres and a beautiful home. Right. Uh, We're doing the podcast up in here, and this is a really great piece. I'm really excited to see what is in store. Yes, sir. There's. uh, I already know that there's deer here, so uh, I just got to figure out, you know, there's some bucks here. I got to figure out who's in town and all that and who stays in town. Um, but we just closed last Friday, so that'll be soon. Yeah, soon you're, come. your uh, ultimate rival is on the property, though, too. Yeah. <laughs> Honeysuckle. <laughs> Honeysuckle. <laughs> that bastard. And, I mean, <laughs> he came to play ball. Yeah, no, th- these, uh, a lot of it. these honeysuckle bushes are, I mean— Judging from, I mean, they're 20 foot tall in some spots. So, I mean, this stuff may have been here for six, seven, eight years. You know, this house was built the year I was born. So, uh, 23 years old. And uh, I don't think the guy ever burned his brush, ever cut a piece of brush, a tree, or anything off of it. And uh, he used the field. But uh, so the fields are clean, but the, the woods are are pretty rough but i know deer do bed down in this stuff and and uh he was telling me before he left they used to uh, drink wine out on the porch the guy never hunted um they'd be drinking wine on the porch and there's a 12 point buck that'd come out every night and uh, my father he was showing a video of it to my father-in-law my father-in-law said man that is a beauty of a buck and he said is it I was like, oh. Sounded like you really cared. Well, yeah. there's a lot of potential on this place, and I think that we're going to try to show where it starts and then how it's going to end. Yes, sir. And I don't think the work ever ends, but I just I think that we can really improve this place from a hunting standpoint, whether that be with waterfowl or whitetail. Yeah, and I plan – I'm debating on putting a, putting a lake in here or not. I've got a little one-foot deep pond that – has a bunch of algae and, excuse me, uh, grass and and stuff, persimmon trees around it, and lots of food, acorns around it. So, uh, I'm gonna mess with it this year, and uh, if it's really good, then I might not bother with a lake. But if not, I'll put a little bit of a lake in, and uh, and we'll go from there. But yeah, I'm gonna definitely try to burn this place off this year. So. Hopefully get rid of some invasives, get some forbs going, and uh, maybe put a food plot in here this this next year and roll with it. The things we do for hunting. Yes, sir. Absolutely. So um, today, you know, we're doing a question and answer podcast, and we kind of mentioned a little bit about that in the intro. And we put, these que- uh, we put this 
out a survey out for people to ask questions on Instagram, and we got a few questions. So uh, appreciate you guys, you know, volunteering to ask some questions and participating in in our uh, our Q and A here. So we're gonna try to give you guys the best answers that we can give you from our personal opinions, and hopefully it resonates or gives you a different perspective that you hadn't thought about before. So. Thanks again, guys, for reaching out and asking those questions. Yeah. Travis, why don't you go ahead and uh, get us started here? All right. So first question comes from uh, at Hunting in Misery. Um, I love that name. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, that's a great, great Instagram handle. Uh, arrows and broadheads, what you use and why? I'm going to let you go on that one. All right. So, listen, I don't deer hunt real hard, but I've always shot does here or there for meat or whatever and uh i've always rifle hunted started bow hunting back when i was like i don't know probably 15 and i'm gonna give rage one thing you know one pass because i did shoot a young doe and i hit it in the shoulder as a three three bladed expandable um broadhead and i did hit it in the shoulder i'll give him a walk on that one I shot another one. It took three steps, fell over, got back up, ran, I don't know, probably a quarter mile into a bunch of brush, and I never found it. And then I shot another deer, and once again, I I mean, I looked hard for it and never found it, never found I found a little bit of hair and blood right there where I hit it, and it just petered out, and... Never found the deer. I switched to a Muzzy MX-3. It's a non-expandable. It's a fixed broadhead. I killed two bull elk and a doe. And so it's not, I mean, I'm not missing them. I'm not a bad shot. I'm not saying I'm, you know, Cameron Haynes, but I'm not a bad shot. I can make a kill shot on a deer. And the rage is just, I mean, and I know. Do the job for you. Yeah, I know people that, you know, they, they say they're great, but. Man, I stuck with a muzzy. Muzzy's been around forever. Muzzies are sharp. Muzzies are fixed blades, which I don't see any problem with a fixed blade. And they've been really good to me. Like I said, I killed two six by six elk and uh, and a doe with them. And I've never had an animal go more than sixty yards that I shot with them. So, so the other half to that question is, what arrows setup are you shooting? Uh, so I'm shooting a 400 grain um, full metal jacket, and I'm actually I'm drawing a blank on the actual brand of the of the. Uh, I think most people uh, would know a full metal jacket is. Yeah, they're they're just they're called FMJs. They have a um, oh the outside is aluminum, of course, but the inside is still uh, fiberglass. Mm-hmm. So um, and they. They're heavy arrows, but man, on an elk, you need you know heavy arrows, and on deer, it just makes it that much better. I mean, you got to know where you're gonna shoot. You you know you have to have a quiet bow, or you know get to jump on them, maybe have a close shot because they fly a little bit slower, but they get the job done for sure. Do you notice that uh, at further distances they drop farther down? Um, well, I killed my first elk at 65 yards with them and yeah, they start dropping pretty, pretty quick at that range. But I mean, as far as 
I've got four pins on my bow, and I have a, a 10, 20, 30, a 40, a 50, and a 60. So the 10, 20, 30 it's is all one pin. pin. Okay. So and then I was say your math's a little off there. Bro. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, but yeah, 10, 20, 30, all one pin, 40, 50, and a 60. And I mean, I I'm not gonna shoot anything with a bow over 60 because there's a lot that can go wrong after that. So and I I say that and I said just said that I shot that elk at 65, but that was, I mean. I felt pretty comfortable because at that point you're shooting at something the size of a trash bag, you know, mm-hmm. as far as lungs. And so I felt pretty comfortable with that, but with a, with a white tail, yeah, I'm not going to shoot. Honestly, I probably won't even shoot over 50 unless it's you know huge. And that's maybe the last time I'm going to see them. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, besides the back of your pickup truck, right? Right. Exactly. Now uh, I'll just tell you that I'm shooting rage hypodermics oh so i that's why i had the shit eating grin the whole time you were talking about it because i love those things i shoot the expandables and uh you know i was shooting a different broadhead when i first started bow hunting got a brand new bow brand new setup went with the rage because they were all the talk and i haven't looked back because i haven't lost a single deer with a rage and I, I don't usually hug the shoulder too tight, so I can get away a little bit right. with some of that. I know those guys that like to bust through the shoulder probably wouldn't want a Rage to be shooting with. More right. of a fixed broadhead would definitely be key. But for me, um, the way I set up and how I aim mm-hmm. at the deer most of the time, it uh, Rage gets it done for me. I shoot 100 grain. Now, do you hunt, you, do you hunt mostly uh, tree lines, or do you hunt... Uh, in you know deep woods or in the woods at all because I I feel like I mean maybe that's what I had because I've uh, all those shots were in woods so maybe a twig or a branch or something maybe they busted that rubber band off and and it went but I just like I said yeah I would say ninety percent of the places that I hunt are ag the other ten percent is uh, woods. wooded areas but I mean. <clears throat> One of the ag places I hunt is just a 80-yard strip wide, and it goes along an ag field. But mm-hmm. it's got, you know, it's got the same thing that any other wooded area would have, that sticks and stuff that you wouldn't normally see in low-light situations. So whether I've gotten lucky and not brushed against one of those and changed the direction of my arrow um, or not, I just have had the success with the Rage now to... The arrow setup, my arrow setup, I shoot the gold tips mm-hmm. of a Hunter XR 400s, and purely because I spend all year shooting, these arrows are durable. Mm-hmm. You know, they I I tend to hit my own arrow sometimes. Sometimes I hit tend to hit the legs of my decoy that I'm shooting at, right. uh, and they seem to to hold and. They're flexible, you know, if I accidentally step on one or something like that or climb into a tree in a thick area, you know, it can be, you know, pulling right. your bow up and, and arrows through a bunch of brush. <clears throat> so um, they've always been good to me. And, mm-hmm. you know, I wouldn't necessarily call me a lazy hunter, but I'm an efficient hunter. And right. if something's working for me, it's yeah, going to be hard for it? me to change. That's the reason I have these full metal jackets is, I mean, whenever I – was going to go on my first elk hunt. 
because I, I mean, like I said, I shot a, a few does here and there, but I never got serious about it. And whenever I decide, whenever I pulled a tag to go hunt elk, I got serious about it. And I went up there. I asked the owner of the shop what he thought and t- took a lot of his advice. And you know w- what works. You know why fix it? Yeah, well, I think the broadhead question gets brought up all the time you Mm -hmm. know i think everybody wants to know what broadhead to shoot i think they're all pretty deadly i just think what works for some people might not work for other people and um the good thing about a fixed broadhead whether that's muzzy or or any other fixed broadhead is out west i know a lot of the expandables are banned so if if you do plan on going out west to hunt um you might have to change your setup to go out there and verse with hunting a uh, fixed broadhead. Then you don't have to change anything, and you can just kind of roll with it. Well, I gotta, I gotta say, I mean, I've been considering uh, changing my setup for a while now. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't been really getting the penetration I like, but I've been killing these deer, so that may have something to do with it. You know. And I know if I go out elk hunting, I'm going to want to probably move to a fixed broadhead. Yeah. I mean, that's that's pretty obvious to me, I think. And uh, I'm going to continue to to do the research on my own. And, and if I have something to share that has helped me, then we'll bring it up right. next time. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Well, I think, uh, I think yeah. that just about covers that question. Yeah, I think that's good. Um, so this comes from Cam Blanton, 21. Shout out, City Boy Cam. Yes, sir. How to stay calm while shooting. Okay. Uh, Travis, I'm going to let you take this one over again. Um, Well, you see, I just like to take a lot of opium right before I – no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) No, I just uh, practice like it's real. And when it's real, think like it's practice. It's just another arrow. But every time you – you know, every time you're shooting, you should be in your mind thinking – about the biggest buck you've, you know, you've ever seen. And every time, just take a deep breath and just muscle memory, muscle memory, muscle memory. And then eventually, if if you do get up in the stand, yeah, you're going to have adrenaline and it's going to be flowing. But if you have muscle memory there to, to back you up, um, I don't think you can go wrong. And, and whenever there is a deer in front of you, just think like it's just a target. It's just a target, and you know where to put it. You know where that arrow is supposed to go. Take a deep breath and put it to work, you know? That's good stuff. Um, I'm going to probably get into a little bit more detail about this question just because it resonates well with me. You know, when I first started uh, shooting a bow, I, I did struggle at the mm-hmm. beginning. You know, I, you know, unfortunately, wounded a couple deer right. and, and missed quite a few as well. So, you know, I had that, that same issue that Cameron's talking about. Uh, or asking about and uh, you know going off what you said prepping and visualizing the situation before it happens right you know um, as far as your setup you're getting in your tree or if you're hunting on the ground whatever the case may be you need to know where exactly these deer are going to come from you picture it in your head where you might be shooting when they come through if you already have that prepared then that's one less thing you have to think about in the moment of truth yeah and then uh 
you know, practicing in pressured situations, just like you talked about, kind of putting that pressure on yourself, visualizing that there is an animal in the area, and, you know, this is your target animal. You put all this pressure for that one shot. You do that every time you shoot. Mm -hmm. Um, Another good way to pressure yourself and practice shooting is go to bow shoots. You don't necessarily have to be the best competitor, but I can... I could tell whenever I started going to bow shoots how much how nervous I was to be shooting in front of people and and in somewhat of a competition setting. And when I took that over into the woods, it was like, okay, you know what I mean. I've been in these pressure situations before. Right. I'm able to shoot under this kind of pressure. Right. If I miss right now, nobody can see me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, not not for us anymore right. now that we're filming our hunts. But right. Yeah. No kidding. Um. A really important thing is is having a routine for every time you shoot your bow. And Sean from Redding Farms, that store up in Mexico, Missouri, yeah. he, I buy a lot of my archery stuff from him, and he he said it best, you know, find that anchor point that works for you, you know, whether it's tucking your knuckle under your chin, jawline, um, putting your nose on the string or, or putting, you know, the end of your lip on the string in that same spot, doing that same thing every single time, finding those anchor points. If you do that every time and then you do that whenever a deer is approaching, then that's going to take a lot of load off, you know. Most people would say, well, you don't want to be thinking about all those things whenever the moment of truth happens. Actually, I do. I want to be thinking about my anchor points. I want to be thinking about, you know, is my uh, peep sight lined up with my actual sight I want to be thinking about those instead of, oh, my gosh, this is a 170-inch buck. Right. Because, and you start looking at that guy's rack instead of focusing on what you need to do to make a clean ethical shot on that deer. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And uh, that that stuff has really helped me hone in on becoming a better shot in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. And if, I mean, if you haven't shot a deer before with a bow, I recommend starting with a doe because j- just killing a deer, any deer with your bow is a feat on its own. So if you're, you know, it doesn't matter your age, but, you know, if, if you're just getting into bow hunting, like, don't think you need to go out there and shoot a 160 the first time. You know, go out there. It's all about an experience. It's all about learning. And if you can, if you can shoot a doe, and down a doe, then that's going to be that much more confidence walking into the next situation. You know that you can down a deer. And from then, it's, you know, all downhill. That's exactly what my mentor taught me. He's, uh, you know, he had had some experience teaching young guys shoot to, to hunt, and uh, he said that, you know, if he could change the way he taught to those guys, that he would probably have them shoot or aim for lesser deer at mm-hmm. the beginning, you know what I mean? Instead of just going straight to those 130-inch, 140-inch, 150-inch bucks, right. to just starting with a doe, first thing that walks out in front of you. Yeah. Get get some kills under your belt. Really gain that confidence that you can do this, you right. know what I mean? And when that's exactly what you're saying. Though. Right, and, and con- yeah, confidence is key because it's – I mean, my first bow kill was a six by six elk, and there's not. I mean, I was nervous, and especially whenever I walked up on, I couldn't believe 
that I, you know, I was like, holy cow, I did it. And then <laughs> yeah. the next time I did it, I was like, okay, maybe it wasn't luck. And then I came home and I was like, well, you know, elk have a little bit bigger vitals than a deer. Then deer duck, you know, sometimes. So they're, they're fast. I was like, I'm, I'm going to try to, I'm going to see if I can just kill a deer with my bow. And then I did that. And now I'm going to hopefully move on to, and then this year I shot a buck with my bow. So I'm going to hopefully this year kill a bigger buck with my bow and we'll keep moving on up that way. Cause it's, I think the building, building confidence, especially whenever uh, a lot of these guys out here that are first getting into bow hunting or 14, 15, 16, you know, or even if you're 32 or 40 or whatever, Whenever if, you're starting. If you're starting out, I think that, you know, everybody feels pressure from, you know, social media or whatever to to only kill big bucks and not shoot anything else. And I, I think it's all about your experience, your wood woodsmanship and your experience in the woods that really matters. So if you don't get... Most most young guys was what happens. This is what happens. They they're in the stand. A doe walks by them, and they pass them because they're not worried about it. A lesser buck comes out, and they pass it because they're not worried about. It. They're not thinking about shooting them. When a lesser buck or a doe walks out, you pick up your bow and you pull it back, and you don't feel a sensation of adrenaline running through you. Right then this isn't the sport for you you know right. you're not getting out of, you're not getting it yeah and even know. even if uh especially if this is your first few deer kills with and it, if it's your second or third buck and even if it's not huge i mean draw back take a look at him you know yeah maybe if you if you're waiting for a bigger Definitely buck pick it up. if you're waiting for a bigger buck that's fine but i mean just take a look at him. Get your get your senses about you. Make sure you're you're keeping the adrenaline at bay until that buck walks by. And then whenever you you know come down off of it, hang your bow up and you're sitting there and your heart's pumping out of your chest, you can sit there and and kind of collect yourself and then the next time if it is a bigger buck, you're just that much more ready for it. Yep. Yep, that's a good that's good practice is just pulling back on lesser deer, mm-hmm. even if you don't plan on shooting them, because that feeling right there is what makes a lot of hunters make mistakes on the shot, is that... And whenever you know you're not going to shoot it, yeah, it helps. I mean... But then when you get that bow pulled back, sometimes you decide differently. Well, yeah. A- yeah, <laughs> absolutely. That's that's a thing, for sure. But it, once you get that bow pulled back, and you know for sure, you're like, you know what? I'm not going to shoot this deer. I'm just pulling back. Just practicing running this scenario and you pull back and you have that all all that adrenaline but in your mind you're still you know you know that you're not going to shoot it so you don't you don't mess up you're just thinking about you know putting it on that pocket following them where you would call the shot be thinking about it yeah no that's that's all great advice travis i got two more things i want to add and then we'll move on to the next question. So the first thing is buy once, cry once. Get some good equipment because if you're not confident in your equipment, you're definitely not going to be confident whenever it comes to shooting it. Absolutely. My second piece of advice, 
try to shoot as much as you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, which I actually need to be. I need to get my target over here. I haven't shot since I bought this place, so. We'll get you shooting. I know you've All been right. busy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, we had to pa- take a pause in the action because uh, there was a fawn killer out in Travis's new yard. Smoked it. Yep. We are practicing habitat and wildlife management yes, every moment we can <laughs> here literally, on the new 20. <laughs> literally, I said, pause it. <laughs> there, I ran outside. AR was in my truck. Ran to my post. Smoked a coyote. Ran about 40 yards in the corn. And Piled up. Piled up. Yes, sir. That's, that's the way we like to do it. That's the first animal uh, I've taken on this property. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm glad I got to be here to experience it. Right. So I guess we should probably start answering some more questions. Yeah. Yeah. So this is uh, from Ms. underscore Cfin. Strategies for hunting crops that have already been harvested wheat for the fall. So in his case, I think wheat. Right. But uh, in general, the, the as general well. question, you know, how do you hunt spots that don't have or that have already been harvested? You know? Right. And in a lot of ways, it depends on the farmer, in my opinion, because um, with wheat, you know, it's a little different. But if you have a farmer that just harvested some corn. Mm hmm. Now, if he's got really good equipment, there's not going to be much left there for a deer to go after. Right. You know, and and get. So, with beans, you know, same thing. Wheat, not so much because wheat, they probably already cut most of it and it's probably not in that green stage where the deer really want to take advantage of it and eat it. I guess um, the easy response to say is I wouldn't hunt it. Right. You know, I wouldn't probably put a lot of, of my effort into hunting areas where there's a lack of food. Unless it's uh, for ducks and geese because they kind of pinch around. Those can be pretty awesome right after they harvest them. But I don't know. I assume this is all just whitetails. So, but I'm just going to say if somebody just harvested crops and you're hunting geese or ducks, then um, find a grass strip, whether that's on the edge of the field or in the middle of the field. Maybe there's a drainage line you can set up blinds on and then uh, hunt it that way because you're going to stick out like a sore thumb in the middle of the field unless you're hunting corn and then grass hide, throw corn trash over you. So grass your blinds in throw corn trash all over you, you'll blend right in. But this is a whitetail podcast, so I'm not saying that. If uh, <laughs> no, I appreciate it, Travis, because there's guys out here that maybe are waterfowl hunters like you trying to get into whitetail hunting and, you know, maybe have the same scenario. And right. so now they're thinking about waterfowl again. So right. <laughs> good job. But, no, I know uh, I talk to Cole a lot. He's a big follower of the 573, and uh, he's definitely talking about whitetails. So another thing is he sent me a photo of the area that he hunts, and I noticed there is a lot of woods in that area for him to hunt um, besides the agriculture. So what I would first do is if I'm in good standing with the farmer and it's wheat and there's no signs of of planting again, Mm -hmm. I would go see if we could do a no-till just kind of throw out some brassicas and see in those spots that he has had encounters in the past before. 
you know, right. with, with bucks. And he sent me a couple of spots of where he actually has shot deer in the past. And so what I would say to that is those coves try to get the farmer to let you do something like that because brassicas don't come back in abundance usually. I mean, some will come back, you know, you'll have those brassicas that do come back in the following spring, but it's not going to do enough it's to not really take piss over. the farmer off. Right. Yeah, and he's going to be able to do whatever he needs to do, and it's going to put nitrogen back into the soil. And if he's row cropping, I mean, chances are he's going to spray everything before he, you know, before his crops come up anyway. So, I mean, really there's no downside for the farmer, and it's putting nitrogen in the soil. And it's not too late. You know, now's the time to get that question and answer going. Um, but strategy just – you know, for the folks that didn't get to see this parcel, um, you're not going to understand, but there's, it's basically an ag setting, and there's fingers of woods coming off into the ag. What I would do is I would identify your oaks, you know, key in on the white oaks in the early season, like September, and then look for those red oaks in your October and November, and make sure that those are, uh, going to be falling this year you know i would go out there right now see if they're growing because that's a great food source for deer that don't have any crops to eat you know it's it's just a food source you know if there's a lot of browse in there if there's a lot of high stem count then this is a good property that doesn't just need ag for deer to be there you know late season it's probably going to suffer if you don't have that food plot or or that extra food out there but those are the type of things in the heart of the season that i would look for um to be using and uh, I hope that helped Cole you know uh, that's a, about what I could give you as far as just your situation you know with with not having any food source left just having you know harvested wheat that's yellow you know it's probably not an ideal food source to be trying to hunt over so those are my two things identify the oaks Go talk to the farmer, see if you can get a food plot put in there. All right. Anything else to add on your end, Travis? No, sir. All right. Well, I appreciate the uh, the waterfowl aspect, too. Yeah, that's that that's nice. usually the first place my uh, my brain goes to. So, <laughs> And uh, then behind that is usually whitetail and everything else. Uh, but um, so the next one comes from... Um, I'm not sure if it's supposed to be Gare Bear or Gar Bear, but it's spelled Gar Bear 113. Um, tactics to hunting bucks betting on neighboring properties, particularly in hill country. I love this question. This is a fun question for me. Um, the general question, tactics to hunting buck betting that is on the neighbors. I think we all tend to think that the bucks are betting on the neighbors. The grass is always greener on, on the, the other side. side. Absolutely. And in your case, Gary, it might it might actually be that is the case. So I'm just going to tell you what I would do from my perspective. If it's hill country and if they truly, if you have identified exactly where they are betting on the neighboring property, the first thing I'm going to do is knock on the door and see if I can get permission to hunt. Yeah. Because being close to bedding is really great. The next thing I would do is I would identify every single trail that leads from that neighboring property that goes into your property. Um, 
we use on X to track our trails and uh, I would probably set up a camera. Now, if it's one particular side of the property, that's going to make it even easier because you can narrow down if you don't have a lot of money to spend on cameras, you know, put a camera on each trail. Then you're playing the long-term game. You are identifying what time of the year those bucks are using your property or coming onto your property in daylight because there is going to be a time no matter if the other deer or no matter if the deer are are betting on the neighboring property you know throughout the year there's going to be times where those deer come onto your property during the daylight hours some part of the season Um, with that being said you know that's the long-term game you know you find out because these bucks will tend to do the same thing, and your trail camera intel will show that they are doing the same thing year in and year out. And then you narrow down which trails are the best trails by using those cameras. You're, you're figuring out, okay, this, cam- this trail is not a heavily used trail for bucks. This is a doe trail only. This, buck, or this trail is uh, used by bucks, scent checking does, and... I mean, that, that's really the, the meat and potatoes of it. I mean, that's the easy way to do it if, if you don't want to put boots on the ground or spend time in a tree. Um, in hill country, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, when I first go into a place and I think that the bucks are betting on the other property, is I try to get onto that upper one-third of the ridge. And I usually, I, I go to a, a, a trail that is parallel paralleling the hill but also going up the hill and there's a lot of great places for that to be found there's uh most hill country deer there's there's drainages in these hill country you want me to pause yeah i'm gonna okay. yell at this dog oh yeah yeah maybe, if you hear a dog in the maybe park, just that's it. old sunny <laughs> <laughs> and we're back Sorry about the delay in that. Um, old Sonny just gets to barking in these late afternoons, and there's a dead coyote in the yard, so right. he's a little fired up. Yeah, she's she's blind anyway, so <laughs> usually around this time she starts barking. Not my dog, just uh, the inherited inher- with the property. Yeah, inherited it with the property, and uh, and haven't been able to find it a new home yet. But yeah, about this time in the evening, whenever it starts getting to gray light, she just likes to bark for whatever reason and i'm sure she smelled the coyote so it's all right well um let's so what i was saying was about these drainages is that in hill country you have a lot of them you know uh, just over time with erosion and and stuff like that you get these big drainages that go down the hill and most of the time if they're deep enough these deer won't cross those drainages they'll use them to go around and so what i've noticed is that i will find those drainages that go up the hill, they're deep, and they will cut, the the end of them will cut still in the woods. You get what I'm saying? So um, you're down in the bottom of this creek, all right? There's a drainage going up. Right. You, You pick the right side. You walk up the right side until you get to the tip of the drainage where it's getting more shallow, more shallow, more shallow. Right. Okay, so now you're at the shallowest point. In fact, it's not even a drainage anymore. It's just a, it's just a another dip. piece of land. And there's usually a space between that tip of the drainage and a wooded area. Okay, if it's the tip of the drainage and a field edge, 
you know, it's not something that really sparks my interest because it doesn't have as much cover. But it ha- if it has, uh, you know, 40 to 50 yards of woods after the tip of the drainage, I'm going to try to hunt that because usually it's going to get deer going up it and around it. And so that's a really good spot to key in on um, in hill country that I utilize a lot. And sometimes these drainages can help um, take your thermals down them. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you're hunting in the afternoons, you know, that, that thermal, if deer come in from the bottoms, they're going to smell you. But if they hit this drainage, they get inside this drainage, then you can sometimes get away with it. You know, hill, hill country is a little bit of a booger when it comes to the wind and thermals. Um, but that, that's that's kind of what I would do um, just initially looking at a property, thinking that these deer bed on the neighboring properties. Um, for a different setting like agriculture, you know, actually, I take that back. Another thing I would do, generalize to uh, a tactic to buck hunting buck bedding that's on the neighbors is let the neighbors put the pressure on. Okay, you know, sometimes you're going to have good neighbors that are really good at hunting, and they may get it done before you. But chances are they're going to pressure those deer out of those bedding areas, and you're going to see an influx of deer. But if you're both hunting at the same time, then those deer are not going to be any more likely to stay on your property than they are the neighbors. So wait for those right times. You know, those cold fronts usually... For me, it's the second day of a cold front that really matters. And, uh, you know, you're seeing about a 15-degree temperature drop, you know, a nice steady wind between 12 to 20 miles an hour. Um, Those are the type of winds that I want to be hunting in hill country because they're going to take away those thermals some if the winds are heavy enough. Um, Yeah, but that's exactly what I would do if, if I was in his situation is I would, I would, Try to wait for the right times and then plan for the long-term gain. Because once you get that trail cam intel, you're noticing that these particular bucks are using these trails coming out of the neighboring bedding to your property during daylight at certain times of the years. First of all, that makes you more efficient because then you only have to hunt a certain amount of times of the year. And then you go in for the kill. Right. Uh, Surgical. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I really think of myself as a, a, a preparer, you know, because then my next question to that question is, okay, now you found the trail where all the bucks are coming. You found the time of the year. How are you accessing it? How are we getting in there? How are we doing it? You know, and that is all dependent on different terrain features. and Right, yeah, you know, the best settings. way to get in there without leaving any scent where the, you want the deer to be or where the deer are going to be. Yep, yep, and hill country's a tough one because, you know, uh, you know, some people say get low, but then, you know, a lot of the Thermals times rise deer, too, just <laughs> yeah, like they the fall. Yeah. Yep. But they, they can also see, you know, if they're mm-hmm. sitting, if they're bedding on top of a hill and you're walking down the creek, they're looking right down on you and they've got you pegged before you even knew they were there. Right. So that's why I choose the upper one third because that's pretty much where they're probably going to be bedding is that upper one third. And once you identify that, you can you can set up on these trails near these drainages or these pinches or these funnels that I'm talking about, you know, intercepting them uh, from bed to food. And hopefully, um, you know, you have access to being able to put food on your property. You know, Gary, talking to you, 
if you have if you're able to get the best food and then and then hopefully you're working on ways to build the cover that you need so that you don't have to worry about the bucks na- uh, betting on your neighbor anymore. You know, once you make that spot the most appealing by adding food and adding cover and then taking away the pressure off that property, then the neighbors don't stand a chance. Right. But that's, uh, you know, that's pretty much all I have to say about that. I'm sure I, I could say some more, but I'm, I'm losing my train of thought in what right. I've already said. Well, I, I think it's uh, the, the thing that uh, you were talking about, bucks sitting up high, looking down on – even – even if you're not in necessarily hill country. I mean, over uh, at my parents, where I did some of that TSI, we were walking through it the other day, and, I mean, it's not it's not real hilly country. I mean, there's gentle slopes. And we were walking through it, and we found a buck bed. And he was sitting at the top of a drainage. That drainage, el- elevation-wise, it's not, you know, it's not that great, but it's still up from the creek just a little ways and he's sitting there and he's watching downhill from him and you know he most likely he can smell what's coming in from the field and he can see down that hill he's safe he feels good you know yep yep that's the next plan of attack is how how do you beat that deer at his game of scent and sight right so I hope that answered uh, some of your question or or left you with some thoughts to think about, Gary, and everybody else, you know, that that is the last question, right, Travis? Yeah, that's it. So, you know, hopefully we can do another Q&A podcast and we can get some more participation and and get a lot more people asking questions because I really enjoyed it. It was really fun uh, to kind of go about somebody else's questions in their head and hopefully helping them. Right, yeah. And... I don't know. Did you have anything else to add, Travis? I mean, I mean this was a fun podcast, and I <laughs> we uh, we had some adventures along the way. You yeah, know? no, I'm I'm just a, yeah. This was a great podcast. Got the smoky yoke right in the middle of it, and yeah, hopefully we get to do another one. Well, I'm glad to to have you back on, Travis. We got some good ones lined up, and I'm yes, excited to to see how this takes us into the fall. Yes, sir. Waterfowl season's right around the corner, y'all. And bow season two, so. All right, well, it's getting dark. Let's go cruise for some velvet bucks. Yes, sir. All right, we'll see you on the next one.